appreciate that. Uh, thank you for reminding me. I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> so the servant here in, is the apostles, not the apostles, because he's referring to the prophets of old. The servants, remember the parable where Jesus said that, you know, he sent servants out into the field and, and then the people who were um, at the field, because the, the king sent servants to require fruit from those that had been entrusted to look, overlook the field. Those were the Jews. And the servants were prophets and they continued to slay the prophets. And, and then the manager said, well, if I send my son, then maybe they will uh, give me the fruit that is required of me. And they say, well, here's the heir, you know, of, of, of all this, let's kill him too, so that all this will be ours. And so what that meant were the Pharisees actually knew who Jesus was. He was the heir, but they wanted power. And, and they, they were really, they, they had a spirit of antichrist because they crucified the Christ, right? And they wanted power more than they wanted salvation. So, um, but the point though is there is, so we understand from Jesus' other parables that the servants here are prophets, were, you know, ministers of the old, you know, priests and stuff like that who have been slain. And he said, <clears throat> so he sends out his servants to say the banquet is ready. Right. And so verse 17, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and, and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Okay, and then he goes on, say, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, now notice this, notice the, the, <clears throat> the heart Jesus had. He was not interested in crowds. He was interested in truth. Because when the crowds came, he could have had, you know, he could have given many heartwarming messages. And on some instances, instances he did, he says, you know, Come unto me if you're heavy laden and burdened and, you know, take upon my yoke, you shall find rest for your souls. And so there were very, you know, comforting words for the afflicted, but he always intended to afflict the comfortable. You know, he, he, there was comforting words for the afflicted, but there were afflicting words for the comfortable. You know, so, um, but he says, he, look at what he says to the crowds. He doesn't say, you know, Believe on me and your life will be better. It doesn't say, you know, if you believe on my words that you will become prosperous. In fact, he says the complete opposite. Verse 26, he says, if anyone comes to me, <clears throat> notice he says to him, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to anything else, but to him, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, Yes, and even his own life, 
he cannot be my disciple. Okay, so those are very hard words there. Now, <clears throat> that word hate doesn't literally mean hate their guts. You know, come to despise your own family. That's not what it means, because otherwise, why did Jesus say love your enemies? If, if he required love for enemies, did, did he somehow not require love for your own family? But what he's doing here is he's recognizing that it's human nature. Notice this. It's not human nature to love your enemies. So he says love them. It's human nature to love those who love you. So he says hate them. <laughs> Jesus acted very opposite of what the flesh wants to hear. His words um, are spiritual words. And those spiritual words give life. But those spiritual words also crucify flesh. And this is a very flesh crucifying uh, uh, statement. Now, especially if you've come from families that were very, very nice, very, very good, very heartwarming, very loving families, it would be even more difficult um, if they, even as a quote, good family, and yet they opposed Christ, it would be, you know, it would be difficult versus, you know, you know how there's some people that they've been, they've been mistreated and stuff like that. I'm sure some, you know, statement, these passages would be easy to obey, but that's not what's going on here. You know, it, it's in either case, whether a good or, or for bad, <clears throat> at the end of the day, Jesus requires complete allegiance, complete allegiance to him, complete allegiance. And remember, remember what he says here. He doesn't say there's a possibility you can be my disciples. He says, you cannot. You cannot. This is the fundamentals of our, of our Christian life. That at any point, what, what our family says, or what our own life says, because he says, even if we, because we, we can hate the rest, right? Maybe they double-crossed us, and so that's kind of easy. It's like, well, that's pretty easy, right? Of course I'll follow Jesus. No one cares for me anyhow. But he says, even if your own life, there's something in your walk that is inhibiting you, that is preventing you from giving everything to Christ, then you cannot be his disciples because these are the basics. It all begins at the cross. Everything that he wants to teach us afterward cannot be taught until we learn these very basic principles of, of crucifixion. <clears throat> and he says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What do we see there? Everyone has their own cross. Your cross may be heavier than mine, but everyone has their own cross. And everyone has areas in their lives that they must die. Paul says, I die daily. It's a way of lifestyle. I continue to die. We continue to die. And remember that this was a form of capital punishment. This is how the Romans crucified criminals. And it'd be one thing if you're crucified for sin. But he wasn't crucified for sin. He was crucified for hours. And so how great of an influence Jesus then becomes to us that that cross was for our sin. And he who had no sin became sin for us at the cross that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But we, as, as followers of him, 
had every reason to die a death, right? The death of his wrath. But he, 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 he forgives us and then invites us to die a death to a filthy way of life, to a corrupt way of life, that we may gain new life, that we may gain a life that is far greater than the one that we knew before. <clears throat> but he says, verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to incur, encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Notice, the, the he doesn't say that we have to throw away everything. Because then in, in Paul's letters, he says, Fathers, love your wives. No, husbands, love your wives, right? Or fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Or, you know, sort of, or, or if you're an employer, love your employee, do them right. Or if you're an employee, if you're an employee, you know, obey those that are over you. So he doesn't literally say become poor, you know, divorce your wife. He doesn't, that's not his intention behind this parable. The purpose behind this parable is to communicate that, at any point these things come above him or his commandments then those things gotta go not not always like again like if you're married you're bound together but your allegiance is greater to jesus than your allegiance is to them and and remember too he he says this he says even your own life so it may not involve relationships it may involve many it may involve a way of life it may involve uh, 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 practices. It may involve, you know, uh, behavior. And those areas, these are things that we must die in. <clears throat> and I want to say as a side, on the side as a form of encouragement is that there is a progressive death. There, there's a progressive sanctification, but the heart by the grace of God must arrive at a place that says, you know, I don't know how I, I cannot do it on my own strength. But God, I know that you can through me. And But my heart is saying, oh, Lord, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to be crucified for you. Whether that means, even if it means dying a martyr's death. These are heavy words, even if it means that. But I will die daily to you. Not because I want to earn salvation, but because you have saved me and the Holy Spirit has shed your love abroad in my heart, I want to respond out of obedience for love to you. It's love to Christ. Not that we loved him, but he first loved us. And that love gave us a reason to live. And now after having seen all the worthlessness and the meaninglessness of this world, 
even if Jesus bids us to die this sort of death, is it not worth it? In light of eternity, in light of his love for us, in light of his power for us, it is worth it. And he says, verse 34, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? I don't ever want to lose my taste. I want to be the salt of the earth. It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's that's hard, man. So he's saying, we're, 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 we're of no use. We're of no use. Um, but this is what's, this is, I mean, in my Bible, it's, it's entitled, and in many other Bibles, it's commonly entitled, The Cost of Discipleship. Not even discipleship to, <clears throat> necessarily to, um, your relationship in the in in with the other members of the body of Christ, or or necessarily discipling others, although those things can nonetheless be a form of of dying to self. But most importantly, our discipleship to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, it's a common thing that's often said: if He's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. He will lay claim to everything in our lives. He wants how we spend our time. He wants how we spend our money. He wants how we interact with the world, how we, uh, what we value, what we cherish. Uh, even dreams that we have. When I say dreams, I don't mean like dreams given by him, but what I mean are things that we would like for our lives have to be submitted to his feet and say, Lord, is this what you want for my life? If not, this must, too, go on the altar. And one of the things that I found in my walk with the Lord, it's not those filthy things that I renounced when I had first come to Christ that are hardest to let go of. He broke that in an instant in my life. It was amazing. It's the good things. It's the good things that we die to. That's the hardest. You know, um, I posted on my stories about, you know, this brother, uh, he was, you know, sharing on it, you know, with the microphone I put on my Instagram stories. He said, notice how the devil continued to tempt Jesus with all that was in conjunction with what he was already going to get. When he says, turn these stones into bread. It was premature because he would partake of the bread in the kingdom with his disciples remember how he says do this in remembrance of me and he's, he says surely i will not drink of the wine or eat of the bread until the until the banquet in heaven he says something along those lines and i'm paraphrasing here but the point was this that he would partake of the bread but it would be after his death it would be after his death and after his resurrection but the devil was saying, cast these stones into bread if you are the son of God. He was the son of God, and that was rightfully his. He says, uh, all this I will give you. He, he showed him 
the, the land, the promised land, the people of God, their land. And he says, I will give this to you if you will just bow down and worship me. He says, get thee behind me, saying, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and serve only him. But remember, the Bible says that he has become the heir of all things that the Father has given him. And this is all prophesied in the Psalms, that he shall inherit the earth, that he shall inherit the land, that that was his heritage. And so all that the father wanted to give the son is what the devil wanted to give the son, but prematurely without a cross. And so there are things that God has even promised us. But we say, uh, I don't want to go through the cross. I want to get my Isaac uh, through Hagar, so to speak. Because Sarah, she's barren. And Lord, I don't believe that you're going to, and I'm not saying Abraham didn't believe, but I'm figuratively speaking here. I don't believe that you'll be able to bring fruition from her womb. I don't believe that you'll actually be able to produce a child. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take what you promised me into my own hands, and I'm going to form an Ishmael. And you know this, that you know all those Afghans and all those rebels out there that love shooting their AK-47s? Guess what? It's because of Ishmael. It was because of they descend from Ishmael. And actually, the Lord pro prophesied, the Lord gave a word to, uh, I believe, I, ha I have to do more reading in my Old Testament. But the point, though, is that I think that, the, the, that uh, if I'm not mistaken, it says something to the effect that he should be like a wild donkey or something, always, you know, fighting. Well, look at the Afghans. That's how they are. They're like, they, they live off bloodshed. But that all that came thousands of years later because a man decided not to wait on what God had said and what God had legitimately promised him. It was a good thing. And even after the Lord had given him Isaac, he says, I need you to sacrifice him. And, and, and so sometimes God brings us to places where he's even given us something. And at some point within him providing whatever we've been praying for into our hands, there's still some other thing that enters in our lives that begins to cause us to question whether or not this will actually follow through. And so, but remember, I believe in John, Jesus says, Abraham seen of my day and he rejoiced. What do you mean by that? Jesus had, Abraham had a heavenly vision and knew that, and I believe it right, it says in Hebrews that Abraham believed that God would even be able to raise him from the dead. So Abraham had that sort of faith to believe that even if God required hard things at his hand, that God will still be able to do what he promised to Abraham. And that's what became, and see, this is, what does John say? So this is how we overcome the world, even our faith. So faith enables us to conquer this world. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews says this, that by faith, they were looking for another country whose foundations were built by God. So they were looking for a heavenly country. And their faith in those promises is what helped them to endure. That's why Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes to the earth, shall he find faith? You won't find faith in too many because there will be a great falling away as the bible says and the spirit expressly says in the latter times 
uh, many will loves of many will grow cold and so forth. And, but notice here, I wanted to turn to Luke chapter nine, verse fifty-seven. Luke chapter nine, verse fifty-seven. <clears throat> the word of the Lord reads, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the airs have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I don't know. I don't know whether this man ended up continuing to follow Jesus. But imagine that. Your understanding of a rabbi is that he's well-respected in the Jewish community. He's like, oh, man, this, this Jesus guy, he's a rabbi. I want to follow him. And he turns around and says, I don't have a place to lay my head. Will you still follow? Verse 59, to another, he said, follow me. <clears throat> Interesting that there's times where people say, I will follow you. And then there's other times where Jesus says, follow me, where he initiates the call. He says, but he said, <clears throat> Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, I know that we read, I know we read this and we think, at least maybe my mind, my mind is tempted to think, well, yeah, you know, this was, you know, years, years ago, this was Jesus, you know. And um, so it's unique for him to say it. But if we were to proclaim Jesus's words, what, does it not logically follow that we should be saying similar things to others today? If we were to faithfully proclaim Jesus's word and someone says, you know, I don't think I'm ready for Jesus. I have to, or they say, you know, um, <clears throat> I'm gonna put off the repentance thing because, you know, my mother just died. And I have to go to her viewing or something like that. And I mean, can you imagine someone today saying, let the dead bury their own dead? I can't. I, I mean, I've never heard someone say that. But, and, and a part of me, if I'm honest, my flesh says, ah, man, I, that's, that's really hard to say to someone. Um, and I know that contextually speaking, it's a little different because if I just say come to church, it's not the same thing for me to say to come to Jesus, you know, so that's not necessarily the same thing. Although coming to church may be the very thing Jesus is telling that person to do, or if say, hey, or I might tell, um, <clears throat> for example, if we might tell another fellow brother or sister, and I know it can get tricky because sometimes we might have expectations of other people that the Lord doesn't have expectations of. He expects all to repent, but our unique calls look different, right? And, and, but there are some times where we have to make those hard judgment calls to say, you know what, brother, you know what, sister? I think that you've actually become very passive in your walk. You've, you've actually become too comfortable and you want it too easy. And you know what? Go let the dead bury their own dead. You got to follow Jesus. Step it up. Because you are not looking like his follower. 
you are not looking like his follower. You know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, <laughs> um, sorry, I get a bit distressed over this when I think about it. Um, I posted a couple of days ago, well, not a couple of days ago, actually a year ago, but it came up on my memories and I got really angry. I got really angry because I posted, um, <clears throat> I said, you know, I, I'm tired of you people on Facebook because if I said I have a mega church and I said, who's willing to come and preach for my church? And, and you knew that you're going to get a fat love offering too from this church for coming to come and speak. I guarantee you my comment section will be filled up, filled up with many offers. Because not long ago, I said, who's willing to go to the abortion clinics with me and go preach to save babies' lives? and to preach salvation, and I got zero, zero comments, and I said on my thing, I said, you guys are a bunch of cowards and punks, because you're willing to do all this other stuff, and make flyers with your face on it, and do all this other stuff, if it involves you getting money, but we have a freaking genocide on our land, and no one's willing to go with me, you're allowing a brother to go by himself, when there's a perfect opportunity to minister, the perfect opportunity, and I know that not everybody is you know not everybody's going to do that but i knew i know a lot more people on facebook than i do on instagram so in that context it made sense you know for for me to say that because there's a lot of people i knew personally that i knew had the ability to go but were not willing to back me up not because it's about me but there was a lot of talk about blm save black lives and all this other stuff i'm like okay you want to save black lives come with me then you want to see the abortion kills blacks more than any other race. You want to come or let me guess it's not your call. Right. And so that, that, that was what I, that was, I was saying, look, <clears throat> I get, like I said, my expectation on certain people, uh, I can't create expectations for people. They have to answer to the Lord. But at the same time, there's this, there is this, um, I, I've had, I have hundreds of people on Facebook and you're hoping that at least someone would say, Hey, I'm willing to go out of hundreds of people, out of hundreds of Christians. You get what I'm saying? And, and so, you know, it was just so disheartening to see that. And, uh, and, um, I'm just so distressed that, well, you know, I see the, the state that I see that the modern church is in today. Um, like uh, Ravenhill said, he said, we want a painless Pentecost. <clears throat> but I, I hate to break it to us, but there is no painless Pentecost. It, it involves pain. It involves pain. And I wish I could say that it doesn't, but it does involves a lot of pain. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's wonderful, beautiful seasons of comfort. There's wonderful, beautiful seasons of rest the Lord has us go through. But at the end of the day, at some point we have to just call a spade a spade and say, you know what? You know what? Um, maybe we're honest with ourselves or we have to be honest with someone. And deliver the hard truth to ourselves or to someone else and say, you know what? 
I see the cross on your neck. I see the crosses that you post or even speak about. But do I see a resemblance in my life or in our lives or the lives of other brothers and sisters? How dare, do, how dare we claim to bear a cross if, if we're out sleeping around and we're not even married? You get what I'm saying? And, and those are the times where it's hard because you're going to have to tell someone they're idolizing something and that Jesus right now in this moment of their life really isn't Lord to them. <clears throat> you know, I want to ask us this question without any answers. It's just a rhetorical question. Do you think we would be willing to have followed the Apostle Paul? I mean, it would have been a beautiful thing to see people raised from the dead and all that stuff. But he had a hard life. He, he had these amazing revelations. But guess what he said? Notice this. He said, all those who are in Asia turned away from me. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're writing scripture. It's like, hey, let's get Apostle Paul come and speak for our church. He raised someone from the dead. None of that didn't persuade anybody because they knew if they got Paul, they got suffering because he actually lived it out. They weren't doing three-point series on the cross. They lived it. And so people turned away from him. And he says, Demas in love with this present world has forsaken me. It's like, well, what? I thought we we're following Jesus. Forsaking you, I don't have to listen to you, Paul. And, and in, some, in some respects, that's true. But notice, though, Paul was laying the foundations of the doctrines of Christ. And, 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 and he was connected to, you know, so uh, there, there are some times where um, <clears throat> there are some times when God is connected, connected to a particular mission. And it involves certain components and involves people so that if you abandon that, that that is the abandon the call to which the Lord has entrusted you to. But going back to this idea of, of Paul, you know, he was an anointed man of God. And yet, sadly, many had forsaken, forsaken him, had forsaken the mission altogether. In fact, you know, Mark didn't even want to, uh, Paul didn't even want to take Mark on a second missionary journey. Because Mark actually ended up abandoning Paul. And so Paul and, and uh, Barnabas got in a dispute because Barnabas wanted to receive Mark. And Paul says, no, he's unfit. I don't want him coming with me. He, he, he's, he's, uh, he backs out. And then that kind of sounds hard, right? It's like, where, where is the grace? Where's the forgiveness? I'm not saying that Paul didn't forgive him. But notice, though. The, the mindset that Paul had on, on, mis on the mission. And I wanted to, I wanted us to read this. Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 19, verse 28 through 30. <clears throat> you know, and... I just wanted to say that 
it's it, these are things that I'm talking about that are number one biblical. <sighs> number two, I'm not just talking and not walking. And I think that's very important because if you're anything like me, I want to know that the people that are talking to me about these things are actually walking them out. Um, I think that's very important because if, if you don't, it loses credibility. Um, I remember, I remember when my mom died, when my mom passed away, um, I could have easily said, you know, I don't feel like serving the Lord right now in the season. It's kind of hard, but I didn't. I continued to serve God. It was very painful. In fact, I was in church the following day. I just, I've never come to understand how, if you're hurting in your heart, why you would refuse to hear the words of God proclaimed in a very similar way. If you're sick in body, why do you refuse to go to the hospital? And so <clears throat> this might be offensive to our flesh, but I, I, want, I want us to lose sight of what is commonly said in our circles today. I'm pointing our attention to the scriptures and asking us, what has Jesus said about the matter? Not about what this man has said, what this guy over here, what this church says. What does Jesus say about this? What is his attitude toward the way that the modern church is living? And can we actually meet up to the standard that Jesus expects from us? Or are we going to constantly, for all for all times, for all purposes, be willing to excuse ourselves. And I want to say this too, and I'm actually glad that it's kind of a, you know, a, a smaller uh, and more intimate group today for this very reason that, um, <clears throat> you know, this, this is involving, you know, for example, the talk that I had and I've been having with my wife that we're very serious about leaving if God so bids us to go. And I know some have, you know, brought up concerns about like, you know, it's go somewhere where it's financially most prosperous for you. But, you know, but my, my concern is, is where the Lord leads, not if it's going to be easiest, but wherever the Lord leads. And I, I, uh, sister Julia had a, had a, uh, shared a, a passage in Romans today. I was like, wow, that's awesome. Where Paul says, I've longed to come to Rome and to proclaim and to impart spiritual gifts and that we might be mutually edified. And, um, and he says, but I've been prevented so until now. He says, but it's been my longing and my prayer to go to Rome. And, um, but anyways, and, uh, and so that just, that ministered in my heart. I'm like, wow, amen. Uh, but I mentioned all that to say this, that I hope that some of these actions that I, I hope to make, and if the Lord so wills that we'll, I, I, we will actually end up making, will serve as a model that I'm literally willing to abandon my comforts for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of God's people. And uh, so I wanted to direct our attention to Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> Verse 28, and look at what Jesus said. 
Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And so Jesus says there's a great reward. But if, 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 if we bank on storing up our treasures here on earth, then we're going to do everything we can to secure that. Even if it means God's will ends up contradicting what we're trying to preserve. But if we say, you know what, Lord, I actually believe that the promises that you say will be for me are a whole lot better than whatever this world can offer. I love this song by Eddie James. It says, this world has nothing for me. I will follow you. This world has nothing for me. I will follow you. You know, it's uh, it's interesting how when we first come to Christ, we see the world really has nothing for us. And over time, if we're not careful, we end up wanting to marry back to the very thing that we ended up divorcing. And when I say we, I'm talking about the church at large. I'm not saying anyone specifically in this group. And the church at large ends up wanting to marry the very thing that she divorced to marry Christ. And I just want to direct our attentions to just two more passages. The second Corinthians chapter five, chapter five, verse nine through 10. I just want to kind of direct our attention to so whether we are at home or away we make it our aim to please him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it be good, whether good or evil. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that, that was Paul's aim. That was his main aim in life. To, to fulfill the ministry to which Christ had entrusted him. And that he may run his course with joy. That's what he says in Acts chapter 20. And so Paul's no exception. I am no exception. None of us here in this group are exceptions. And the word says that we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I, I have often pondered that. I've thought very deeply. I've prayed very deeply about that. And I cannot shake that our entire life will be brought to him for examination. I've stood before a worldly judge a number of times before coming to Christ, and I can say that it's a very nervous thing 
because your life is held up to scrutiny. But Jesus sees all. And thank God that this is the judgment seat of Christ. This, this is distinct from the other judgment seat that is mentioned in Revelation, to which the unrighteous shall appear before, unto wrath. So we have not been appointed unto wrath, the Bible says. But the Bible says that we will, says, be rewarded. We may receive what is due for us. And so turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul kind of labors on this point a little more. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 15. <clears throat> and he says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. <clears throat> and so this is what it's going to look like at the judgment seat. We will be rewarded according to what we have done. And and according to what we have done, it's only going to be as good as our sacrifices. Which again, it implies a cross. It implies a death to self. It implies, it means that we continue to say no to self. We continue to say no to comforts. Continue to say, we continue to do as Paul did. He says, I beat my body into subjection. <clears throat> he says, I beat it into subjection. In other words, it requires pain for my body to obey what the Lord has said. That my body will not dictate for me um, my own course. But Jesus, as Lord, says, I want you to do this, this, and that. I need you to sacrifice. I need you to become obedient to the call on your life. Um, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. And it, it, it involves a lot of tears. It involves a lot of heartache. Involves a lot of hardship. Involves a lot of distress. At times, anxiety, fears, worries, doubts, concerns. And you just, you can continue to go on betrayals. <clears throat> All right, sister, God bless you. Bye. Um, but at the end of the day, our loyalty must be to Christ, must be to Jesus. Um, you know, I just wanted to kind of go over that once again in the,
think it's posted here, Luke 14. No, it's not, but that's fine. I'll just look it up. Um, <clears throat> if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be to my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so um, we've been called to, to bear a cross. And, um, and I kind of like how the parable that Jesus gave before going into the cost of discipleship. And he talked about the banquet that's ready. And those who were rich in this life said no. But those who were poor in this life, they answered. And he says, go and compel the, the lame, go compel, uh, require that those who um, could not repay and tell them to come in. And those to whom it was originally prepared for, the Jews, that's what it was actually talking about. They said, no, nah, we don't want to come in. That's, that's why then Jesus went to the Gentiles, uh, uh, Jesus then invited the Gentiles to come in. But the point is that there's going to be a lot of people um, that we will even invite to the banquet and say, I don't, I'm not ready, or I don't want Jesus. Or they will continue their life of party, and they will continue their life of, of wealth or prosperity. And, and uh, sadly, there's a lot of people, even in the church, it appears in some ways that, they, that they've answered the call, but they're they're really not. And they're just like those that someone dies and they make an excuse why they can't continue to follow Jesus anymore. Or they say it gets too hard or they end up getting married and, and Jesus just, it's just a back burner thing. He's just an accessory to their life and he's not their life anymore. He's just a part of their life. And, um, and so I, I just give this message to hopefully redirect our attention to what it really takes, what it really costs to follow the Lord. Um, <clears throat> it requires a lot. And um, in fact, I just wanted to, um, I believe it's Second Timothy. It's just coming to my mind right now. I like what Paul says right here. <clears throat> in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So he's saying we got to have patience because we're going to be tempted to at times stop because no one's listening. 
no one's listening anymore. And why? Because the time has come when people don't endure sound teaching. And endurance, notice though, because there's times where it's like sound teaching is pleasant, but there's other times when people have to endure it because it's hard. Like like the the, the people that no longer follow Jesus, they said, who can endure these words? Who, who can receive them? They're too hard. Verse 6, he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. <clears throat> I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. <clears throat> and remember, when he says day here, remember, too, what he just said in First Corinthians, that the day will test every man's work. So he's talking about the judgment seat. When he appears before Jesus, he says, he will award me that crown of righteousness on that day. And on that day, like he says in 1 Corinthians, he says, the Lord will try every man's work, whether it abides. He says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. The interesting thing is, Paul writes this. This is his last letter. Earlier in his ministry, he said, I don't want nothing to do with Mark. But there, I'm assuming something in Mark changed. And he went from being useless to useful. Because then in his last letter, he actually ends up uh, requesting that Mark come along with him. Because um, he says he's actually useful. And Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware, him, beware of him yourself, <clears throat> for he strongly opposed our message. So I just wanted to say this too, just FYI. This is what I was saying uh, last time in the chat. That there are people that, I mean, Paul didn't make this a private matter. He actually brings this to all of their attention. Whoever is going to come to read this, I mean, um, Titus, no, not Titus, Timothy would have, you know, brought this to the attention of the church that he was pastoring at this time. And so a lot of people were aware of Alexander the coppersmith, that he was a, a very troublesome man. And, and some would take that as gossip, but the thing is, he was a hindrance to the work of, of the Lord. And so he needed to be, he, Paul needed to warn these people about this guy that was causing trouble. Um, so it's appropriate sometimes to, to blast people's names if it, if, it, if it means for them needing to be aware of such people. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Verse 15, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. <clears throat> May not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth, and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
you know, it's, it's um, just in closing, I, I think it's very um, powerful that Paul, he's imprisoned. He doesn't even have a companion along with him. And he says, but the Lord stood by me. The Lord stood by me because he has a purpose for me. And that purpose is that the gospel will go forth <clears throat> and that the Gentiles may believe. And the lion stood there in Paul's um, time of imprisonment. I don't know what that, that meant to him. I don't know if that meant intimidation. But the thing I do know about lions is that they were used in Nero Circus to um, kill Christians. That hadn't taken place just yet in history. In fact, it's not how Paul died. Paul died by beheading. So I don't take it to mean that a literal lion. But he does say in 1 Corinthians that he fought with beasts at Ephesus. Okay, so, and Nero, according to early church uh, fathers referred to him as the beast and a lion is considered a beast. And so I would take it that he is troubled by a lot of people and uh, they're coming after him, either trying to silence his mouth or they're, uh, they're doing his body a great deal of harm or whatever. I, I don't know. But my point though, is that he stood by the Lord stood by him and, and the Lord did not abandon him. The Lord remained with him, even though, um, even though in prison, you know. So, um, uh, so I, I just uh, wanted to close with that, with that encouraging passage. That, and remember, this is his last letter. That that's the last chapter of the last book he had ever written, and it's concluded with, "I fought the fight." I finished the race and now there's a crown of righteousness, but that was after the crown only comes after our cross. It only comes after our cross. And Paul certainly endured his crosses. And so how it applies to us is um, the Lord knows and we know uh, what individual crosses we have to bear. Um, but let us not grow weary in, in doing good. Uh, let us continue, you know, uh, minister to those that um, the Lord puts in our path. And, um, you know, I just want to read actually one last, because this is the final passage that's coming to my mind when I'm thinking about bearing our cross. It's in Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse five, uh, chapter five, verse two. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, so his, his hope is the glory of God. That's what we rejoice in, in suffering. That we're going to taste his glory. We're going to be taken out of this life and, and the unrighteous shall suffer forevermore while the, the, the church shall finally rest from her works. 
and her sufferings. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that suffering produces in us endurance. And as we continue to endure, as we continue to suffer long, it produces in us characters because it's through those enduring times that the Lord refines us. And as we continue to persevere, it only continues to add to our hope because we continue to see that our faith is authentic. Our faith is genuine. Our faith isn't, we're not the, those, uh, we're not the soil that Jesus spoke about in the parable of the, uh, of the, the seed and the sower who only receive with joy for a little while. And after that, they abandon because, because of sufferings. And there are others that are choked out by the, um, the pleasures and the worries and the cares of this life. Um, and in fact, Paul, he, you know, he talks about the church in Thessalonica and he says um, that they receive the word in much affliction. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five, it says, well, verse four, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. Well, how do we know that he's chosen you? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with all conviction. Okay, so it's coming in power, power for what? Power for godliness and power to endure suffering. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Imitation in what way? Paul endured suffering. And he tells us, in danger with false brethren, in danger with beasts, in danger with this, stone, shipwreck, you know, all these things. He says, with the joy, <clears throat> he says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So notice that their joy didn't stop in suffering. For some soils, the moment persecution came, the joy was absent. There's no joy anymore. They fell away. But as they continued, that doesn't mean that we won't struggle to become joyous. Paul says we're always sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. But the point, though, is that we continue to cling a hold of Jesus, even in suffering. That those sufferings actually continue to drive us to Christ more. And that it may take a while, but as he continues to wash our vision in that suffering, we see, again, wow, Jesus is really enough in this time of suffering. And he says, the Holy Spirit came to you with full conviction. And he, and he says, you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example. So our enduring of suffering proves as an example, and it also adds to us hope because it shows that our faith is authentic. It's true. It's genuine. It's real. And it's the sort of faith that conquers the world.
and that's then what leads us to rejoicing. Like Jesus says, rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life, but also rejoice that fruits are being shown in our lives, even though that we're suffering. We continue to cling a hold to the word. Like David says in Psalm 119, he says, in my much suffering, or he says, in my distress or my affliction, your word bring me, uh, brings me hope. Verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus who, deliver us from the, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Um, uh, just continue a little more. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. So they were tested in suffering. And they knew, Paul knew that as he continued to proclaim the truth of God, he would suffer. And God tested, our, tested his hearts and tests our hearts whether or not we would continue to be true, whether we end up will take his word, treat it with deception, and say, you know what, I don't want that word to mean that anymore. I want an easier life, so I'll keep a false Jesus, and I'll just take this word to make my conscience feel better. That somehow I'm staying true to this when it's it's really not this. It's what I want it to say. And that's what a lot of, you know, the prosperity preachers come to do. And when they do that, you, you no longer suffer for God because men become to accept you. And they're not going to persecute you if you please their flesh. Nor did we see glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So, you know, Paul, he, he's given his life for the gospel and for the church. Uh, um, like it says in Galatians, um, Hagar... In Galatians, it says that just as in the days of Hagar and Sarah, how the flesh persecuted the spirit, so it is today. Those who are of the flesh will always persecute those who are born of the spirit. <clears throat> and we as spiritual people proclaim spiritual truths in the light of God, in the light of, of Christ Jesus and his elect angels, it says in Second Timothy chapter 4. Um, and we don't treat the word of God with deception, but we maintain uh, what we know to be true of his word and we continue to proclaim it and believe it no matter what we go through, no matter what we suffer. And, uh, this, uh, in closing, I would say is, is really the cost of following Jesus. It's cost of, um, being his disciple. And, um, but there's a reward. And so, um, with that, I, I'm gonna pause this here.